This is still such a strange and difficult season. And it's not getting any easier. I really miss seeing all of you so much. It's really difficult too watching what's happening in the world these days. So in light of the devastation that is COVID-19, I think it's essential that we seek out the true and deep and hopeful gospel word of resurrection that will hold up in the face of all of this craziness. It's interesting that in the gospel accounts of the resurrection, do not be afraid are the first words out of the mouths of the angel and Jesus. I guess they figured those words of caution were the most appropriate thing to say at that terrifying moment. Do not be afraid. Sometimes to us, resurrection might feel purely joyful and happy, but for those in the middle of it, if it was joyful, it was a terrorizing sort of joy. Resurrection was a new reality crashing in violently on the old reality. And I think that we all realize that we are currently in the midst of a world-shifting time of change as well. It's pretty frightening. We're afraid of sickness and death. We're afraid of how we will make ends meet. And we wonder about our future quality of life. We're afraid that it might make the world more dangerous and people more cruel and world leaders even more oppressive. Now, please know that I'm not trying to equate the life-affirming resurrection of Jesus with the death-dealing global pandemic of COVID-19. These two realities are on opposite sides of the cosmic struggle between good and evil. But... The observation that both resurrection and COVID-19 are fear-inducing events reveals something really important upon further reflection. We should not look to resurrection to provide merely psychological comfort and calm. The power of resurrection does not lie in its ability to make things feel better or calmer or more palatable. The beauty of resurrection, like the beauty of springtime, captured in the gorgeous flowers splashed all over creation right now, that beauty is a symbol of something bigger. It's a reminder of the persistence of life. It's a sign pointing to a larger reality. But resurrection doesn't stop at symbol. Actually embracing the earth-shaking message of resurrection, actually believing that God's invitation to life will overpower and decisively defeat any cheap substitute for life that the world throws at us. Well, that truth should literally turn our world upside down. It certainly did for Jesus' original disciples. As those confused and fearful disciples gathered around the table in the upper room, Jesus talked openly with them. He knew that it would be his last chance to help them understand 
what was about to happen to them and to let them know what they needed to know when he was no longer with them. But his words were not comforting to the disciples in the slightest. They were troubling words. And so Jesus gathered his friends closer and said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Jesus wasn't only teaching his disciples how to deal with his impending death, nor was he only concerned with a far distant heavenly future. Jesus was preparing his disciples for carrying on the ministry that he had begun. The kingdom of God had broken into the world and it would be up to Christ's followers to continue the work of bringing it to full reality. And those words of Jesus still hang in the air. They are being spoken to all of us who are feeling caught by the forces of death. Do not let your hearts be troubled. What's troubling your heart these days? For me, it's a long list and it's not pretty. It's a crushing and excruciating heartbrokenness about the recent events in Nova Scotia. It's fear and frustration about all things COVID-19. I think about nursing homes and hospitals. I think about the protests around the world and in North America. I think about grieving and mourning the death of a loved one. I think about families that are struggling and children that are hungry and people who are literally hanging on by a thread. And I think about my own sorrows and disappointments and losses. I think about the ways that today's gospel text gets interpreted and used to exclude, condemn, and bludgeon others. And despite what Jesus says about not letting our hearts be troubled, my heart is troubled. And I suspect yours might be too. What would you add to my list? What's troubling your heart today? None of us get through this life without a troubled heart. I don't think we can look at the pain in the world today, the suffering of a loved one, or our own wounds and hurts and, and not have a troubled heart. At least I hope we can't. That's the context in which I hear Jesus say, do not let your hearts be troubled. It's not that different from the context in which Jesus said those words. It's the night of the Last Supper. Jesus has announced his departure from this world, his death. Feet have been washed. Judas has left the table and stepped into the nighttime of betrayal. Peter will break his silence with a threefold denial. Thomas is lost and asks, how can we know the way? Philip can't see what's right in front of him and says, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. What about us? 
How do we begin to make sense of today's gospel in a world whose heart is constantly troubled? It's really not that hard to understand why this text is so often used in a burial liturgy. Death troubles our hearts, and we want to find some balance and stability and harmony. Jesus recognizes that our hearts are troubled. He's not warning us about a future condition. He knows the troubling has already begun. He can see it in us because he's experienced it within himself. He also knows that our lives and the world are not defined by or limited to what troubles us. If your heart is troubled, it is time to recenter. Recentering doesn't necessarily fix the problem, whatever that might be. But it does mean that our lives are tethered to something greater than ourselves. Jesus is reminding us that there is a center and it is not us. It's not the government or laws or constitution. It's not the church or creeds or doctrines. It's not our success, accomplishments, position, or power. We do not have to be the center, nor do we need to establish it. In fact, we can't. Instead, we awaken to it. When Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied, it's because he's bought into the lie that the Father is apart from, outside of, and distant from himself. But God is in us and all around us. The Father's house is within. The kingdom of God is within. Wherever you go, whatever you face, whoever you are, regardless of what troubles, God is with us. In our Father's house, there is a dwelling place for every troubled heart. We're not talking about the afterlife. We're not talking about some sort of celestial dormitory for those who have enough right belief and right behavior. We're talking about God dwelling amongst us. We're talking about the ways God's life intersects our own. Mercy and forgiveness. Justice. Generosity. Compassion. Healing. Love. Beauty. Wisdom. Hope. Courage. Joy. Intimacy. These are the dwelling place for troubled hearts. Every time we live into and express the divine attributes in our way of being, with our words or by our actions, we regain our center 
we restore balance and we take up residence in our Father's house. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Amen.